is Nelson. I'm one of the pastors at Artisan Church. When we're in our usual place of worship at the Japanese Hall and I'm on to preach, I'll usually say something like, it's good to see you, it's good to be with you. Um, it's still really weird neither to see you nor be with you, but uh, I think I'd like to say it's good to be among you. How, however you're coming uh, to this sermon moment, whether you're watching on a Sunday morning in a Zoom room uh, with a group of uh, neighborhood group friends or family, or uh, whether you're listening via podcast uh, after the fact. But um, however you're coming to this, it's good to be with you, at least in this way. Now, before we dive into our text for today, I just want to share a little bit about where we're going in our preaching for the next little while. If you received and read our email from Wednesday of this past week, you'll already be aware of some of this. We're embarking on a series that we're going to call Eastertide in Strange Times. Now, when I say strange times, uh, everyone, of course, knows what I'm talking about. The Eastertide part may be less familiar to some. For several years now, we've been trying to pay greater attention to the liturgical calendar as a whole, and not just the popular parts like Advent or Christmas or Lent or Holy Week. Now, did you know, for example, that in many parts of the church around the world, Easter is celebrated not just as a single day, but as a season of 50 days. And the season is known as Eastertide or Paschal Tide. Now, 50 days we've got here to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and the new life that we get to share in because of it. Many see Eastertide as the apex of the entire church year. There's a, a great book by Joan Chittister called The Liturgical Year, and I just need to read a little page from this where she talks about Eastertide. Uh, she writes this, Nothing else compares to Eastertide for bringing the whole Christian calendar to one hot point of experience. Yes, the Advent waiting had been a glimpse of what it means to believe in the return. Yes, Christmas locked the human and the divine into the human psyche and soul as one. Yes, Lent brought us to our knees in the face of the awesome idea that the divine had reached down to us so that we might reach back. But only here in this time, between the bursting open of the tomb and 50 days later, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit does the full awareness of what it is to live in Christ, with Christ, and through Christ finally dawn. Indeed, these first Christians were the first citizens of the new creation. Now began the breaking open of the future. Now the human community sees life lived as it is meant to be. Now creation is recreated. In this creation, Jesus, risen, walks among the living to demonstrate the presence of the living God among us. In this period, we are all risen to new life. We all become a new people together. So in ordering our sermons according to the lectionary during this season, the scriptures that we follow for each week all correspond in some way to the themes of Eastertide. And the gospel texts connected to these first few weeks of Easter, for example, highlight the appearances of the resurrected Jesus to various people, including his disciples. Like the one that you've already heard this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And that's where we're going to camp out this morning. If you haven't read it yet, please do take a moment. Just pause this and, uh, and go for it. 
Now, I want to just say as, as we get going that in my experience, at least whenever this text is taught, even though Jesus is or ought to be the center of every gospel story, the often so-called doubting Thomas tends to steal the limelight. There are some good reasons for this. And in my view, doubt absolutely needs to be talked about. We will address it, I promise. But this morning, I mainly want us to notice Jesus, to see what Jesus does, to hear what he says, to notice how he shows up, to bear um, witness to how he treats not only Thomas's doubt, but the rest of the disciples' real fear, among other things. So when does this story take place? Easter Sunday night. A lot has happened already. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The disciple Jesus loved also looked into the tomb and believed. It's been a day. But even so, I'm amazed by how little time it takes for Jesus to find his people. That's what I'm noticing about the text this time, to be with his friends. On the evening of the first day of the week, Jesus, alive and very well, came and stood among them. Now the sense in that phrase, stood among them, is that he stood right in the middle of them. Jesus in the middle. Just as he was in the middle of those being crucified with him three days earlier, and just as he will be in the middle of them again in about a week when Thomas is with them. What Jesus seems to be saying is that right in the middle of them is exactly where Jesus always wants to be with those who follow him. Christ-centeredness is a huge theme in the Johannian texts. One commentator, Dale Bruner, says, One gets the impression that John's gospel promises that wherever there is an appreciated and living Christ-centeredness, it will be well with the church. Now, we are, of course, in the middle of some pretty serious challenges. I wonder, do we have a sense that the risen Christ is in the middle with us? So here's a quick question for us to be asking, it seems to me. How might we participate in centering Jesus during this time? Or perhaps better, and more linked to the context of John 20, how might we actively welcome the Christ who longs to come and be in the middle with us? There are some striking parallels between the disciples' situation and ours. John tells us that on that first Easter evening, they were together. That's not totally true for us, but we're trying to stay connected uh, however we can. They were together with the doors locked for fear. And yeah, that's fairly relatable. We know what that feels like these days. The object of our fear may be different, but as we said last week, Jesus never dismisses our very real fears. Instead, he comes, he stands in the middle, and he speaks. What does he say? Peace be with you. In the ancient Hebrew, Shalom Aleichem, peace be yours. What is all contained in that word? Well, the peace of Christ means his love, his forgiveness, his favor, his blessing. So his first words then are not command, but 
gift. And this is the usual pattern we can expect. Jesus most often tells people who they are before asking them to do something. A good example of this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. First he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then, be salty. That's a paraphrase. A few uh, sentences later, first comes, you are the light of the world. And then, be shiny. Identity precedes purpose. Indicative precedes imperative. So that Easter evening, Jesus would give his followers something to do soon enough. But first, shalom aleichem, peace be yours. Love be yours. Blessing be yours. Favor be yours. Peace be with you. In other words, I am risen and alive to be lovingly and non-anxiously present among you. I'm not here to condemn or criticize or cast judgment. It's not a burden for me to be in the middle of this, of whatever you're experiencing with you. Can we hear Jesus saying these things to us this peculiar Eastertide morning? What comes next? After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. It's like Jesus is saying, now I want to reveal the reason for the peace I am speaking to you. A reason for peace that's deeper than a wish or mere words. That reason is truth. The crucified Jesus really is alive again. And if this really happened, then everything else we read in the rest of the New Testament takes on a totally new dimension. If this is all true, then what we're reading here is world history's major facts and events, not just inspirational stories. Now, and notice something with me. There is no sense of Jesus showing them his hands and his side begrudgingly. He's not like, I know you're not going to believe this unless you see it. So here you go. Have a look. Get it over with. You satisfied now? No. There's no passive aggression going on in Jesus. He wants to be seen as he is. Jesus wants to be known by us. Jesus wants us to know he's alive and present and real. And then John says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So what's the result when we apprehend the risen Christ in these ways? Resurrection joy. Let's keep going. Let's hear verses 21 to 23 once more. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Again, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be yours. In case you missed it the first time, in case your joy is still tinged with a bit of fear, anxiety, nervous energy, and then, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And I wonder if the disciples were like, wait, what? 
You're doing what? You just got back from being dead and you're sending us? Too soon. I kind of feel like that's where I might have been, at least on an emotional level. But on another level, if we step back and consider the weight of what's happening here, if everything that took place on that distant Sunday morning is true, then of course, this is a reality that can't be kept in fearful, timid, locked down places. Resurrection joy has to be unleashed. Like all those social media posts you see and think this is too good not to share. As the Father sent me, how is he sent? Well, maybe the best answer is the most well-known verse in scripture. I think you know the one, John 3:16. Here's one translation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that every single individual who is simply trusting him would not self-destruct, but have deep, lasting life. The same one who translated the famous, that famous verse in this way, Dale Bruner, presses the question further. He says, so if the disciples, which includes we who are seeking to follow Christ here and now also, are being sent just as Jesus was sent, can we dare then to say that God so loved the world that he sent the little Christs at Artisan Church out into the world so that every single individual who is simply trusting them and the one they represent would not self-destruct but have deep lasting life can we say that bruner thinks this is exactly what jesus is saying and when we take the rest of the new testament into account i believe it holds up we are the body of christ according to paul's picture we are extensions of the incarnation, to use the early church picture. We are Christ bearers. I don't know if anyone has been to Bolivia and seen the Cristo de la Concordia, the second largest statue of Jesus in the world. It stands on the highest hill in Cochabamba, Bolivia. If you're following along the sermon slides, there's an image there, which you can check out or you can just Google it later. It's 112 feet tall. It's made of steel and concrete. And the name Cristo de la Concordia means Christ of peace. It towers over the city with arms outstretched and with tiny windows dotting his hollow body so that tourists can look out on the world from the inside. Now, I've never been there myself, but Rachel Held Evans told a story about seeing it while on a trip with World Vision. She writes, On our last day in Bolivia, we took the narrow winding road up San Pedro Hill to see the statue. Craning our necks and squinting our eyes, we stood beneath the statue's shadow to try and get a look at Jesus' face. I confess I've always been a bit weirded out by giant renderings of Jesus. The radical rabbi from Nazareth spoke so often of humble obedience and quiet service. Pomp and grandeur don't seem like his style. And after all we had seen that week, this statue of Jesus, though beautiful, seemed so still and so removed from the people below, looming over a city where hunger, abuse, poverty and despair still hide in shadowy corners. I suddenly remembered a favorite poem from St. Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. 
Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Rachel Held Evans continues, A statue cannot be Christ in this world because a statue cannot be animated by the Holy Spirit. But people can. Over the past month or so, we've been catching glimpses of the real hands and feet of Jesus helping others during this pandemic. So I want to attempt a little interaction here. Not you with me right in this moment, but you with whoever you're with, if you happen to be with some folks. If you're with your family, in a Zoom room with your neighborhood group or others, I invite you now to press pause and take a few moments to talk about where you've been seeing the resurrected Christ at work through people. Or... If you're on your own, pause and reflect, maybe write a few things down, send a text to a friend. Here are three ways that I'm seeing glimpses of the hands and feet of Jesus. So if you want to participate in this, press pause now. I compiled a little list as well. Maybe you'll hear some echoes of the things you discussed or reflected on. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list, but uh, in my experience, we've been seeing glimpses of the hands and feet of Jesus in people, helping each other with finances, providing meals, delivering groceries. We see it in people making face masks. We see it in piano teachers offering lessons through FaceTime. We see it in Jalen and Matt sharing ridiculous music videos. I mean, not just ridiculous. There's, of course, real talent being displayed. All of it sheer gift. Thank you, Matt and Jalen. We hear it at 7 p.m. each evening in the clapping and the banging of pots and pans and cheering all the first response workers serving our communities. We see it in John Krasinski's Some Good News videos. We see and hear it in John Voth's online reading of Harry Potter. And we see it every time someone checks in with us to ask how we're doing. As the Father sent Jesus, he is sending us, even in the midst of a pandemic, to be his body, to be the eyes with which Christ looks compassion on the world, to be the feet with which he walks to do good, to be the hands with which he blesses our neighbors. May we be faithful in being Jesus's sent ones. After Jesus said these words to the disciples, the text says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he breathed on them. I've always found a bit weird anyway, but especially right now. But the, the point, however this happened, literally, physically, it's not, the point is, we're not left to our own devices in carrying out this mission in being the hands and feet eyes of Jesus. We have the very spirit of Christ breathing his life energy into us and through us. His love, his wisdom, his conviction, his comfort, his gifts, his forgiveness. And this is good news indeed. Verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas, 
also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The jazz great Miles Davis uh, has often been credited as saying, it's not the notes or it's the notes you don't play that make the difference. We don't know if he said it for sure, but he's often been credited as saying this. It's the notes you don't play that make the difference. In other words, in music, the spaces between the notes are just as important as the notes themselves. For all music and no rests, music would sound horrible. Now, I want us to take a brief moment to explore the space between verse 25 and 26. If you've got a Bible handy, just look at it. After Thomas says, unless I see it for myself, I won't believe. What happens? It's crickets. There's no condemnation. There's no belittling. There's nothing but time. We're not told what they said to Thomas, if they said anything at all. But I can actually imagine them saying, you won't believe unless you see it. Yeah, that makes sense. There's zero response given. Only a week's passing until what happens? Almost a repeat episode. Again, the disciples are in the house. Again, they're on lockdown. And again, Jesus shows up. He stands in the middle of them and says, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be yours. So I've been sitting with this text this week and I'm thinking, why another visit? The answer has to be that Thomas was with them this time and Jesus knew that. The disciples had told Thomas about seeing the Lord. He wasn't having it. His skepticism was too present and too alive. So what does Jesus do? He respects that and he meets him in it anyway. He does exactly what he did for the other 10. No Judas anymore, remember. He shows them his hands and his side. He wants Thomas to see and know and come to trust him again. And Thomas does. He confesses, my Lord and my God. I love how Eugene Peterson renders Jesus' response in the next verse. Verse 29. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. And then as our text concludes, the writer uh, of the gospel turns outward to his readers to essentially say, Jesus did a bunch of other stuff as well. There's no way anyone could have written it all down. But we wrote down stories like this so that you may believe that Jesus is God's Messiah. I've got a footnote in my Bible next to the word believe in verse 31 that says, or may continue to believe kind of like that. I'd never noticed it before. So in this season of Eastertide, may you continue to believe and trust in our resurrected Lord and Messiah. May you know the risen Christ who visits us in our lockdown places and is willing to stand with and among us in our fear. May you know the risen Christ who offers peace, favor, blessing, non-anxious, loving presence without judgment. May you know the risen Christ who shows himself to us as he is, the Christ who wants to be seen and known by those he calls friends. 
May you know the risen Christ who breathes his spirit into us, his life, his wisdom, his comfort, his gifts. May you know the risen Christ who sends us as he was sent to embody good news, empathy, co-suffering love, to be peacemakers, to be his eyes, his feet, his hands. And may you know the risen Christ who both stands with us in the middle of our doubt and calls us to continued belief. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you, dear friends. Thank you.